0: This episode's director is listed as Douglas Schwartz. Schwartz. Ah, German names that for some reason, despite being German, I can't say. Schwartz. Schwartz. Schwartz.
1: This just, think, just, just think of space balls.
0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days, and not so good old days, of World Championship Wrestling, series by series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, and I'm joined by the guy I'd most want to hang out and ignore lifeguard match duties with, Alec Pridgeon.
1: I'm honored that people will die on our watch.
0: <laughs> it's lifeguard match duties, man, not a... Oh! Not... <laughs> oh. Though, so, you know, I don't know if someone gets... Could... I, I, I mean, I stand by my statement, so... Yeah. <laughs> How's it going tonight, Al?
1: Pretty good. How's it going with you?
0: I'm doing quite well. I had to do significantly less work preparing for this episode than normal because we're watching a TV show.
1: I'll say don't get used to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to spoil you now.
0: It's a pleasant break when we do these uh, these movie and TV show uh, episodes because Al does more of the story work and there's less like matches for me to recap. Though more official matches in this one than we've normally done, which is interesting. That's true. We've had to call things matches that weren't matches in our previous ones, but this time we've got some legitimate matches. Yeah. Because, well, tonight we're taking a break from watching Wrestling on a Beach. We are watching Wrestling on a Beach on Baywatch. At Bash of the Beach 1995, WCW decided to do some cross promotion, and the popular television series about lifeguards running in slow motion made sense to pair with WSW's most beach-themed show. We saw the first half of that pairing on our previous episode, so now we're taking a look at the second half. Baywatch, Season 6, Episode 15, appropriately titled, Bash at the Beach. Mm-hmm. In case it matters, we are looking at the HD remastered version that's included with Amazon Prime. If you're interested in great coverage of Baywatch as a whole then uh, please check out Alison Pregler's uh, wonderful series Baywatching. She's very, very funny. She
1: is very good, yes.
0: This episode of the long-running series Baywatch aired February 18th or 19th, 1996. Amazon says the former, IMDb the latter. Either way, that's more than half a year after Bash of the Beach 1995, which aired the previous July, rendering its benefit as cross-promotion at least slightly questionable, I'd say.
1: Yeah, it's arguably worse than the Ready to Rumble Slam which technically promoted the VHS release of the show, right? Or the movie, rather. But yeah,
0: they at least were pairing up with a release of that film, right? If not the original, yeah. This episode carries a 6.1 out of 10 rating from IMDb, which is actually on the upper end of the scale for season six, and quite a bit better than the prior and following episodes which earned 4.7 and 5.2, respectively. The prior was a Charlie's Angels parody, and the latter features Mitch getting in a sky-surfing accident and from flipping through it a bit, at least a couple lengthy clip shows of scenes from earlier in the series. So that may explain the rating difference there. Mm -hmm. This episode of Baywatch stars, among others, David Hasselhoff as Mitch, Pamela Lee as CJ, Yasmin Bleeth as Caroline, David Chokichi as Cody, Alexandra Paul as Stephanie, and of course, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Vader, and Kevin Sullivan as themselves, inasmuch as wrestlers are ever themselves. True. This episode's director is listed as Douglas Schwartz, and the episode writer is listed as Deborah Schwartz, with Michael Burke, Douglas Schwartz, and Gregory J. Bonin receiving creator credits. So... Which is better, Baywatch on WCW or WCW on Baywatch? To find out, let's go to the beach. It must be said that Baywatch has an absolutely amazing theme song. It does, yes. Just that's one of the best in TV, I think. Yeah,
1: we get the most famous opening credits. Of, I'll probably say of the '90s. I'd say definitely up there that and Friends, maybe. Really fighting it out there.
0: Maybe X Files.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say for meg mass consumption, though. Yeah. It's probably those two, but yeah, X Files. That definitely the weirdos like us. X Files is up there. <laughs> I like to describe this song as a so sincere it's laughable. Mm-hmm. The guy that does the song, he fully commits to this. It's amazing. It's a super serious song, even though it's people running in slow motion and shots people in bikinis on the beach. I love it.
0: It like is a genuinely awesome song mm-hmm. that is paired with a show that is not always worthy of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can't help but be charged up to watch something when you hear that song. It's, it's great. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. There are a handful of cast members that are credit only, which is a thing that happens quite a lot in the show. Gina Lee Nolan is nearly is credit only, even though she actually appeared at the Bashes at Bates pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. She's the woman in front in Hulk Hogan's intro. It's notable that when we see that intro later, you don't actually see her. Hmm. They do this weird side angle shot where you see them all walking out. They never do like a front shot of Hogan walking out with his entourage.
0: Despite the fact that some of their Baywatch folks are in it, yeah. That's- right. Though, so, isn't, like, David Chokichi in it on the pay-per-view? Yes. And on this, he's watching from backstage, so that might be why.
1: My other theory is that I think it's are releasing a SAG thing, which is oddly timely with what's going on right now I'm recording this. I think if you show her, you have to pay her. Basically. Oh, okay. If you've written the episode, the credits obviously don't count. So I think her appearance in that would count as being in the show, and then she'd get whatever she would get for being in it. Interesting. That's generally how that works. Also notable, Jerry Jackson, as Mitch's son, Hobie, is also credit-only. Yeah. He, he tends to only appear in Mitch's plots, or Mitch prison his, although that's usually the the former, not the latter. And as we'll see, there's probably a good reason why he's not in this one.
0: It's interesting that on an episode that's full of children and teenagers running along with Hulk Hogan, the show's actual main teenage character is not part of the episode.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like if Mitch is part of the wrestling plot, then it would come up. Mm-hmm. The thing with the show is, he'll make this story about him all the time. And so much of up, like, oh, they all know him, or that's in relation to him, like with the Beach Boys show up. He apparently knew them as a kid and stuff like that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing if he was involved in the wrestling plot, he would have like trained in the same gym as Hogan or something. And yeah, something silly. If you want to make a drinking game of this show, take a shot anytime a random person in the bikini, especially a thong, shows up in the intro you will not be sober by the time the episode even starts.
0: That This is true.
1: <laughs> Cody's intro really bugs me. I rewatched it like three times. It's like a 10-second clip, but I really diagrammed it a lot. So his static shot is him standing outside of the pool. Then it's an the action shot of, shot of him running on the beach, and then him getting out of the pool. So a weird order. I like I don't know why he's out of the pool already, than back in. It's just, <laughs> I'm probably the only one that notices that or cares. But
0: there were matter. two pools. He ran along the beach to the second pool.
1: Oh, okay, and, yeah. And to be fair to Baywatch, they really like zooming in on him, like, pressing his way out of the pool. So it's not not just um looking at women that way; it's men too.
0: This this is true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a fair they highlight. They highlight the muscle.
1: <laughs> yes. The episode proper begins suddenly with Macho Man, Ray Zavin and Hogan racing on jet skis. They are taunting each other, but the dog is obviously ADR.
0: Oh my gosh, so, ob- yeah.
1: <laughs> I want to see them in the booth, like, just sort of yelling and insults at each other. Like, oh yeah, faster than you, and all that. <laughs> it's in a room, because it's, it's so hilariously adr Yes. Hogan is so much ADR in this episode as well, as us just see in the, is matched later as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, you get some from Flair and Macho during theirs as well. Oh yeah. Quite notably.
1: Mm-hmm. So as they are racing along, Macho pulls ahead, which apparently is, is frowned upon by Hogan, which kinda of weird. He cuts him off, which is I guess you can't do in a race, question mark. Hogan is merely distracted by a woman and a jet ski. <laughs> as a reminder, he's married with two kids right now.
0: This this bit too has the funniest ADR by far. Oh yeah. In the entire episode, I think, because you've got, you know, Hogan circling around and checking the lady out, getting distracted from the race. Mm-hmm. This had to be gold, like you said, in the booth. Him having to make awkward, attracted noises. Ooh, like, yeah. oh, Ooh. oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> just like picture this man sitting in a, a recording booth making these noises and yeah. somehow not busting out laughing.
1: Yeah. There's a bit on um, Toast of London where the guy who's a serious actor but he does a lot of voiceover to make money, him and his friend are doing basically doing that for like a porn movie. They're just doing like grunts and everything. It's hilarious. <laughs> You never see it, you just hear them grunting along and send the random random noises at some
0: That's funny. In some ways, this episode, despite being paired with Bash of the Beach 1995, feels like it's a follow-up to Bash of the Beach 1994. Because if you recall, Hogan at the end of his promo says, we're going to go ride tiger sharks. That's true. Which I believe to be a brand of jet ski, not the one they're using, but a brand of jet ski. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is intended to take place between the Bash of the Beaches. Oh, okay. There's one or two things later on in the episode that actually make it fit better in that part of WCW's continuity as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Obviously, Macho being there would kind of screw up continuity, but otherwise, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also notable, while Hogan is circling the woman and ogling her, he also nearly bumps into a boat. I really want to picture this as the boat we kept seeing in the far shots on the (laughs) pay-per-view. It's like way out there, it seemed like it needed help. For some reason, Caroline, a Yasmin Blee's character, decides to look up from her Baywatch tower and use her binoculars to watch the action. I'm not sure if she can see or hear that from how far away that she has to be for this. My best guess is she read the script and knew something was going to happen. Otherwise, it's just really weird. So Hogan finally realizes that he's in a race and you know, done looking at this lady on a jet ski. So he proceeds to hit a very small wave, apparently, and is launched off his jet ski.
0: So our first match is Hulk Hogan versus a sea GTX for the remaining air in Hulk Hogan's lungs. The referee for this is presumably Aquaman.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: Hogan wipes out on a wave and defying all laws of physics, the jet ski somehow flies higher in the air than him and lands on top of him several seconds later. The jet ski wins, making this one of the few instances in his career where Hogan jobbed clean. Yes. Seriously though, how does the thing land on top of Hogan? It's clearly not flying as high as he is in the initial clip, and it's also clearly in front of him. So how does it come down after him and from behind him?
1: He do- he slants off his wave and falls backwards off of his jet ski, and the jet ski shoots way ahead, but somehow I guess loops back around and then falls flat on top of him.
0: It like flies far enough, fast enough that it loops around the entire Earth and comes back from behind. Pretty him. much, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's oh my gosh, it was funny. The oof that he makes when he's hit by the jet ski.: Yeah, it's hilarious. Oof! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like a bad guy getting punched in final fight.
1: Yes. One last bit of irony here, of course, is that so much of Baywatch is product placement. They keep mentioning uh, wave runners at one point, a lot in one season. So it's funny that they feature a product, and you see the name very clearly, the CD one there, and it's used to nearly kill somebody you're like, ooh, we're in the episode, what do we do? Uh, I won't tell you.
0: Yeah. Maybe the episode was actually still sponsored by Wave Runner. Oh. The gotcha. competing brand should be the one you use to kill Hulk Hogan. <laughs> that Yeah. We'll pay
1: you more if it's not ours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we suddenly go back to Caroline, who runs to the rescue. I would really see her real-time reaction to Jessica getting looping around the Earth and then falling on him. <laughs> We suddenly get to CJ. Pamela Anderson slash Pamela Lee. At a different tower, she apparently gets a Nat twenty on her perception tech and immediately spots Hogan in the water. <laughs> she wasn't looking for anybody. She so just suddenly sees his body float up in the water. Speaking of bad product sponsorship. The fact that he's wearing his um his life jacket makes him float, which is great. But it makes him float upside down.
0: He's face down, yeah.
1: Yeah, he's face down in the water. So again, not a great product placement for a brand of uh, life jacket they have. Back on the beach, an unseen third person uses the radio to call Julie, aka the random blind lifeguard we saw in both Randy Savage's and Hogan's Entourage on Bash of the Beach. And she goes in for backup.
0: Everyone on the show looks graceful running on the beach. You know, they have to for those like slow motion shots that the show's famous for. Yeah. But there's not a person on the show that looks graceful when they're running into the water. No, you
1: know like that too, yeah.
0: Not not a single person uh, like has figured out a good and maybe there isn't a good way to look Graceful and safely run into the water. I don't know, but they all do this like funny little wide stepping run getting into the yeah. water. And this is six seasons in, and nobody's figured out how to make that look good.
1: There's some lizard that wasn't the lizard that runs across water. The, you think? Ba- the
0: basilisk. Basilisk. Yeah, basilisk, yeah. It was yeah.
1: Jesse Ventura reference on the show, didn't he?
0: Yeah. Also known as the Jesus Christ lizard because it can run on water.
1: And that one runs like that as a big wide leg mm-hmm. dance. I think is like your body is just bursting momentum until I can get across that. Yeah. Now they're not on the obviously they're running through the water so they just look kind of silly. Yeah. <laughs> the dead weight of Hogan is dragged back to the beach where three more lifeguards show up to take him in. They act like he weighs a thousand pound, which is <laughs> oddly funny to me. I mean, he's floating.
0: I'm sure he wouldn't be easy to drag onto the no. beach, but yeah, it's it feels like they have a little bit too much trouble for being professional lifeguards.
1: Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> like this is your job, guys. As CJ and Carolyn revive Hogan, you can see Pamela's tattooed wedding ring. The Easter egg for you, because at this point she is married to Tommy Lee. Hogan awakens, and for a brief moment, he seems to think he's in heaven. <laughs> as Julie, just now, recognizes him. Hilariously, Hogan tries to no sell the jet ski injury. He's like, oh, I'm fine. I can get up.
0: Yeah, I think that claim fell apart when you needed CPR, buddy.
1: <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's pretty funny. Savage finally, apparently, during all this, realizes that Hogan's not behind him. Apparently, missing the crash and the amazing view of a flying over his head, circumventing the Earth.
0: It kind of feels like he's just—he's not used to winning confrontations yeah. with Hogan. So he's like, "Oh, that's funny. Hogan hasn't had his usual comeback and beat me yet. I better turn around and see what's up." <laughs>
1: yeah. It's at this point, that CJ and Julie both acknowledge that they're wrestling fans, but then they go quickly say, "Closet wrestling fans." Way to promote WCW, Baywatch.
0: It's the ready-to-rumble thing, right? Like, even in WCW's own stuff, wrestling fans are, like, gigantic dorks.
1: Yes, true, yeah.
0: And uh, also, should they really be letting, like, Hogan stand up on his own and walk around and eventually leave with Macho on this scene? He just got knocked unconscious and needed CPR, and literally, they said, his heart's not beating. That's true, yeah. That feels like, at the very least, you should be taken to a hospital, probably on a stretcher, to get checked out, even if you appear to be healthy.
1: Although, if it's wrestling, you don't get taken to a hospital, you get taken to a local medical facility. <laughs> because, they—they, they, I guess, what happens, they realize when they say hospital, people would know, oh, so there's only two hospitals near this this arena, let's go there and see him.
0: Where they can't say, oh, no, it was the clinic down on 34th.
1: Right, exactly. I guess people will go in
0: and check if you're there.
1: Which is a weird thing to do for several reasons.
0: Do you not get that the show is fictional, people?
1: Apparently not. Not enough, I guess. So Savage, who, again, didn't notice his friend nearly dying, is very indignant to Hogan about, quote, leaving him high and dry. (laughs) Class act. Also, you're on the water, so you're definitely not dry. And you're staying in a relatively level plane, so.
0: You're also uh, not very high, yeah. No,
1: not, not either. Hogan, annoyed by this confusing statement for several <laughs> for many reasons, says that they need to, quote, talk about it right now, and they receive you walk away without saying a word. So, huh? <laughs> Hypocrite Hogan tells Savage to stop ogling the lifeguards to boot. <laughs> like, yeah. No.
0: <laughs> He's not the one that's married at this point, buddy. That's
1: true. Yeah, he is. We, As we know from watching the shows, he is not married. That's a key plot point for months, as awkward as it is. Oh, good. Here comes the B-plot. In the base, Stephanie prepares for a picnic date with her boyfriend, Tom, Mitch casually explains to the audience that him and Tom have been, quote, best friends his entire life.
0: It's weird how that comes up, isn't it, mm-hmm. by the way? Like, he starts out asking her questions about her date like he doesn't know who she's dating. Right. And then, seconds later, we reveal that he knows who she's dating, and it's one of his oldest friends. Yeah. It's it's such a strange progression of conversation.
1: Yeah. Also to note, this is setting up Tom's first appearance on the show. This character has been made friend his entire life, has never been seen before.
0: Oh my gosh, so... so-
1: we are in season six. Slight caveat: It's his first appearance as Tom. He pe- played a guy named Vincent, his actual first name, in season two.
0: Oh, okay, interesting.
1: And not the same person, obviously.
0: It's like when Jerry Orbach showed up as a defense attorney, like in season one or two of Law and Order, and then later gets Lenny Briscoe. Yeah, and just no one talks about the fact that he looks quite a bit like that defense attorney they once dealt with in court.
1: Yeah, there's an even worse version of that with Law and SVU, where one Lady actually is like sent to prison for sex crime. <laughs> and then she's like the EADA like a season later. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, okay, there's only so many actors in New York City, I guess.
0: Redemption story? <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, I'm glad you liked her so much you brought her back, but it's a little weird. Mitch and uh, Stephanie have a nice friendly banter before she leaves. It's a little bits here that I do kind of like with the show. It makes it feel like characters do know each other. These actors at least have a natural chemistry, which I uh, do like.
0: Definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think Mitch and Stephanie, uh, I think in this episode, you get a a strong feeling of them having a long-running relationship.
1: Mm -hmm. We cut to the date where a pager—this is 1996, after all—interrupts things before Stephanie gets too romantic. Her and Tom also do a very good job of ignoring all of the seagulls. (laughs) They are surrounded by seagulls making lots of noise. By the way— Yes—
0: What exactly is Tom's medical specialty?
1: I believe he's a skin doctor. Yeah, I
0: believe he's a dermatologist, right? Correct, yes. And so the pager is going off, presumably summoning him to some sort of medical emergency. Yeah. Now, no disrespect to dermatologists. They're a very good medical profession and do a lot of good work and everything, so I'm not intending this as any kind of slight on them. But I don't picture them as the medical profession that gets summoned to urgent uh surgical situations or like, you know, emergency room stuff that often. Mm. Yeah. But he's like, he he explains it like, oh, if you work in the medical profession, you never have a real day off. And I'm like, maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like the dermatology side of medical care is is the one where you can say, okay, um, schedule an appointment tomorrow or something like that at the very least. I'm off today. I, I might be wrong on that, but it just, it, it feels like they're treating him like he's, you know, the city's only Skilled heart surgeon, or something like that, mm-hmm. rather than the guy who, at the very least, doesn't seem like he would get the, the really, really urgent medical situations.
1: Mm-hmm. While checking out her legs, Tom spots a mole that is right around the edges and tells Stephanie that she needs to see him in his office
0: tomorrow. See, exactly. There, there's my point.
1: I also guess the date just kind of ended? Because that's the last we see of it.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it kind of would cast a bit of a pall over the situation.
1: Yeah. It's weird how it plays out because. It seems like they're going to be interrupted by it, the pager, but then they get romantic and he actually he's going to ignore it. Then, with the whole thing with the mole happened, he's like, "I see you tomorrow," and then they just kind of cut like so. They just both leave, and then he's he's going to see him in the morning.
0: Yeah, I guess so.
1: We forgot to film an ending for this, guys. And all blue denim Hogan approaches CJ and thanks her.
0: The dark blue cowboy boots are epic.
1: Oh, I love it! Yeah. <laughs> It's one thing to have the denim jacket and denim jeans. Bret Hart makes that work obviously quite well. But yeah, the blue cowboy boots are a great touch. Yes. Hogan jokes about the deskie being told him when it hit him. But then when she questions him he goes, Oh no, not really. So you have a fair play, it kinda makes up for you trying to no sell the injury. It literally stopped your heart yesterday. Yeah. Also, do you see a follow up doctor about that? I feel like you would. <laughs>
0: Maybe, well, he was scheduled for Tom, but he ignored his oh, beeper, so.
1: That's a shame. I appreciate you trying to make the plots intersect. It's the, Lord, it's the Lord's work here. <laughs> Hogan sort of casually says that he heard about the lifeguards doing work for the Venice Boys Youth Center. I don't know if this happened to you, but my brain I guess autocorrected. I swear I kept thinking he was saying Venice Beach. Yeah. But he says Venice Boys, I'm like, oh, okay. He says that it was, quote, his old stomping grounds. And thanks Sonny, the owner, for keeping him from being, quote, wild on the streets. <laughs> Fun fact, I saw a film once called Wild on the Streets. It was about a 16-year-old pop star becoming president and dosing Congress of LSD. You missed out, Hogan. <laughs> CJ mentions that someone has recently bought the property, but they don't know who. Hogan agrees to visit the property later with Macho Man. To a great example of Hogan has a friend. Oh, this is really important. I'll make, I'll make him come with me. Sudden cut to them working out at the center in their gear. Sonny, the owner, arrives and the kids complain about the gym being taken away. Hogan, Savage, and Sonny step aside, and Sonny tells Hogan that it is, quote, out of his hands now. The gym is the kid's support system and it is apparently keeping them off of drugs. It's a bit of hyperbole, isn't it? If we, if you didn't have the gym where kids could bench press, they'd all go they'd just leave and do drugs. I mean, it's a common thing, you hear about that kind of stuff, but it seems a bit exaggerated.
0: <laughs> Believe me, if they didn't have the gym to bench press at, they'd all be playing Nintendo, not doing drugs.
1: Oh, okay. I I don't see a downside at this gym. Being no, funny. me neither. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for I, it. I'm,
0: I'm totally with the uh, property developer in this.
1: Oddly, Savage, who grew up in Downers Grove, Illinois, and played baseball with my dad, lums himself in a Hogan story of redemption at this gym in California.
0: Yeah, it's it's really weird... Hogan also was born and raised in Georgia and Florida, actually. But Hogan's at least billed from California, so you can reason that maybe, okay, the character is Californian, even though Terry Bollea isn't. But Savage is billed from and regularly talks about being from Florida.
1: Sarasota, in fact.
0: Yeah, so his real and fictional history are both entirely apart from California.
1: Yeah. Also notable when... Uh, Lanny Poffo, his brother, was around in wrestling. You know, he wrestled part of the time as a manager, and he was a bit where he was a good guy wrestler. Uh-huh. I've actually seen this on old wrestling flyers. They list the hometown for the wrestlers. It lists Lanny Poffo' hometown down as Groveville, Illinois. Cool. So they stuck with that for him, but at some point Savage just decided, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna be part of the story too." <laughs> yeah, it, it feels really weird, even though you just told us about keeping this kid off of drugs and you know keeping him off the streets and keeping him safe. We don't need them both to have a personal connection to this gym.
0: That's what I was going to say. Yeah, you don't need either of them to have a personal connection to this gym. Like, I mean, they're both good guy characters. Helping people out for, you know, in charity events and stuff is what good guy characters do. True. Like, you can have the Baywatch people have the personal connection to it, and Hogan and Savage just be like, oh, well, that sounds like a really good cause. You know, we'll, we'll help out with it. Like, it'd be one thing if Hogan and Savage were going to be regular characters on the show, and this Venice Boys Youth Center was going to be a regular location. Then I could understand tying it all together more. Right. But it's a one-time appearance.
1: It's a lot of backstory for a guest star. Yeah. Back to the B-plot, as we cut back to the station, where Hoff is just finishing his run, a uh, treadmill. We talk about before him being separated, It's it's interesting how that works. And the first time you see him in this, he's making sure you see him running.
0: They cut from Hogan and Savage working out to Hoff working out. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> Equal, equally the same. He uh, steps off of the treadmill and goes to the locker room, right, where Stephanie's getting ready for her shift. I feel like there should be a door that closes for this place. <laughs> I mean, she's fully dressed, obviously. Yep. But I feels like it's where you change, so I don't know how that works exactly. She asks Mitch if she can work inside. And tells him about the biopsy he's having on the mole.
0: Uh, Alexandra Paul as as Stephanie, she does a really nice job with this. She does. She like you know shows that even though Mitch is an old friend of hers, clearly she's still uncomfortable uh, at first bringing it up and nervous about talking about her situation. Right. It doesn't seem like she thinks that he won't understand or something like that. It's just more of if you talk about it, it's real.
1: It well, and once you tell him about the biopsy, then he's going to be. Want to know more and give be me, you're better gonna
0: better. need to bring it up again, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Whereas if you just did the biopsy and then come back negative, you go, Oh, good, then you, you can maybe mention it later, Oh, by the way, I had a biopsy, I'm just being more careful. Yeah, yeah, credit to her, she does a good job here. She really conveys that she's worried that she might die. The biopsy determines whether she has skin cancer or not. Yeah, and Mitch, as her friend, tells her not to worry. Mm-hmm. We cut back to the gym where Macho was working out separately as a limo arrives. Sonny says that this is the developer that has taken over the property. Hogan and gang decide to, quote, go talk to him. That really sounds like a threat, the way they say it.
0: <laughs> Ultron, we would have words with thee.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh,
2: Rick Flair. So you're the developer. I thought you'd be in a pond hiding under the scum where you'd feel at home.
3: Oh, Hogan, it's wonderful it's always to see you again. and not your man. Last time I saw your face, man, it was under my shoe. (laughs) What are you doing with your time now that you're a washed-up ex-wrestler, Flair? You know
2: what they say, brother. Those who can do, those who can't don't.
1: That's not the quote
3: this for starters man i bought the property you got it in a week it'll all be mine but today i'm here because i'm closing the gym down big boy you can't do that oh little lady that's where you're wrong i'm the nature boy i've got the documents soon this will all be condos it'll all be mine
2: Why don't you put your money where your sorry excuse for a mouth is, Flair? Hey,
3: Hogan, as usual, your words hit harder than your fist, man. A fight. One-on-one, no holds barred.
2: Winner take all. All this property, Flair.
3: Oh, man, doesn't that sound delightful? What's the collateral, Hogan?
2: Something that you could never hang on to, Flair. The WCW Heavyweight Title, brother. Wait
3: a minute! I call the shots. We're making a team. Me and Vader and Macho Man. I want you right here, right now. I'd love to tear you apart. Hey, El! Right a team wins both matches. or all bets are off. And whose head
2: am I gonna have the pleasure of ripping off, Flair?
3: No, 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 you. It's Vader time. That's gonna rip your
2: head off. You. I was hoping I'd have to have a match where I had to keep my eyes open,
0: Vader. <sighs>
3: Save it for the world to see. Save it for the ring,
0: Hogan. <laughs> oh, this this scene is absolutely wild.
1: Mm-hmm. The first thing you see after the limo pulls up is Kevin Sullivan walking out. He has this hilarious face paint, which is like it's just like two Nessies going different directions on his forehead.
0: He's, he's he's dressed in a suit and still has the face paint. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Also, he's clearly it's cleared out his suit because that does not fit him at all. Yeah. I don't think it's been ironed. Face paint, ill-fitting suit, perfect. No notes.
0: Yeah, Kevin Sullivan, multi-class druid businessman.
1: <laughs> yes, there you go.
0: That would be a weird character build unless you specialized in zoos.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, Flair is the first person who's actually acknowledged when he steps out of limo after Sullivan, because Hogan completely ignores Kevin Sullivan, his arch rival at this point for like a year.
0: He's also like does not compute when he sees the man in a suit. So
1: <laughs> no, I guess so. <laughs> Vader is also there and not mentioned for quite a while in this this segment, which is a little odd as well. How do you ignore him?
0: I think he's one of those things that you just your your brain tries to ignore because oh, okay. otherwise you have to acknowledge him and flee in terror.
1: That makes sense. So during this bit, Hogan refers to Flair as a quote washed up ex wrestler.
0: Yes, this is another thing that made me feel like this show is actually set sometime in 1994. Hmm. Because Halloween Havoc is the one where Flair puts his career on the line.
1: Pause for laughter.
0: Yeah. And loses the match, and so has to retire as a wrestler. By the time of Bash at the Beach 1995, of course, he's a full-time wrestler again. Yes. So between this and the riding jet skis, you're kind of like, was this a follow-up to Hogan's 1994? And maybe, I mean, I don't know exactly when this was filmed, but I could see them... Depending on when they had to start scripting it and and putting things together and filming it, it probably was based around WSW continuity from at least early '95.
1: Mm-hmm, it's possible Flair is brought back into wrestling in early '95. I guess he attacks Hogan and Savage and messes with them, and they basically ask the people in charge to undo the stipulation that they themselves asked for to get him out of wrestling. <laughs> Well, so the, that's one explanation. The other explanation for why this makes no sense is that Douglas Schwartz just really didn't care and kind of knew passing about it.
0: Yeah, entirely probable, but it's just funny how well it links up with mm-hmm. 1994 WSW Yeah, rather than 1995.
1: Yeah, to note, as you said, it's October 1994 where Flair loses a match and is forced to retire. By the time this episode aired in early '96, he actually won the world title two more times. Not of Time from Hogan, of course.
0: The other elephant in the room is, by the time this episode had aired in 1996, Vader was no longer in WCW.
1: Yes. And in fact, Savage had won and lost his world title a couple of times between when they shot this 95 and when it aired 96 as well. Both times to flair.
0: I mean, if the idea of this episode was to attract new fans to your product, you'd think that WCW would want to make sure that they got the characters right so that no one was confused? Yeah. But I, I was thinking, though, imagine, you know, this episode aired six months after Bash of the Beach 95, right? About. Pretty much, yeah. Imagine if it was about another six months.
1: Hmm.
0: Hogan would be NWO Hogan. Yeah. Like six months after Hogan's crazy Baywatch appearance, he's in the NWO and like everything about WSW is different.
1: Yeah, that's true. Flair is basically a full-on 80s movie villain here.
0: Oh my gosh, so- This is
1: literally out of Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: It's all about having, having to win a contest to save a youth center.
0: It is interesting, by the way, that he's, he's planning to turn this gym, he says, the gym, into condos. And, like, it's an outdoor exercise center. It's not no. this huge gym facility. Correct. Those would be some pretty dang small condos, unless maybe he meant that he'd also bought the shops and stuff.
1: Yeah, he, he's, it's kind of vague about how much land he bought. Like, he bought all the area around it, and then, which would be funny if, like, we just want to save the center, so he just built condos around the gym. <laughs> Don't worry, Sonny, we saved your gym. No one could see it, but it's still here.
0: Guess he'd have a ready-made customer base then, though.
1: True, yeah. Flair decides to make this a team challenge. Yes. Not to be make for the team challenge series.
0: Yes, but did you catch exactly how he words it? Mm-hmm. He says... A team wins both matches or all bets are off. Correct. Yeah, remember that.
1: <laughs> yes. Also during this, Flair randomly decides to challenge Macho instead of Hogan, the guy he was originally talking to. Since, as we've noted, that is the match that actually plays a pay-per-view when they are yeah. shot. It'd be like if I was like trash-talking you and suddenly I, I challenge John to a fight. <laughs> yes. Hogan really disses Vader here. So it's like, thought I have a match where my eyes open. Well, Vader hasn't actually beaten Hogan, Hogan has also never pinned Vader at this point. Yes. This leads to Kevin Sullivan speaking up and setting up match number two.
0: Our second match is Vader versus a basketball that he stole from some children. The referee is the basketball hoop, which has always secretly despised the basketball because so many people dunked it through and did that hanging on the rim thing. Oh, yeah. And that really hurts, even though hoops don't have nerves. So think of that in your nightmares. But don't worry, it promises to remain impartial. Vader squeezes the basketball and it squishes and pops almost immediately. Vader wins. Yes. I, I do love that of all the scary things they could have possibly had Vader do at a gym, they decide to have him pop a basketball. I mean, it is impressive, don't get me wrong. But if you're going cartoon supervillain anyway, have him like bend some barbell weights into pretzels or something.
1: Yeah, or like grab like a cinder block and add butter or something. Yeah. You also learn about what's inside a basketball when he crushes it, because that weird powdery stuff that just flows everywhere, like yeah. the chocolate stuff. I don't know what that is, but it's, it's weird looking. <laughs> As the confrontation ends, after the death of a basketball, Hogan issues his greatest challenge. Saturday, at the beach, bring the escrow papers. <laughs> yes truly line that will live on in wrestling history.
0: It is, it is, though, like, perfect wrestler, gotta set up the pay-per-view. Yeah. Remember, remember to mention the date and the location?
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, once they are aside, Sullivan talks to Flair and says that Hogan is, quote, too agile for Vader. You know that. D- do we?
0: Is is Hogan gonna start doing Phoenix splashes and space-flying tiger drops?
1: Yeah, what? Vader famous for being 400 plus pounds and moon salts. <laughs> Also, again, not having been pinned by Hulk Hogan. Yes. Flair just sort of casually says, oh, we'll make it a cage match. But they won't tell Hogan until it's, quote, too late. (laughs) Dun-dun-dun. Let's bring the mood down now, shall we? Oh my gosh. We cut to the inside of David Hasselhoff's house, as he stares at a picture of Stephanie, which he still keeps in his mantle? To note, they did date early on, but he has, like, a for official like picture as a lifeguard, it's not like a random picture of they took together. Or it's weird. It's weird they has that picture.
0: Little, little bit.
1: Also, I went and consulted the official Mitch Buchanan wiki page, which is way more thorough than you would think. <laughs> the picture next to Stephanie is of his dead girlfriend.
0: Oh right.
1: There's a whole plot earlier in the show where he had a girlfriend who was a reporter, and then she had died of a heart attack. But apparently, it was murder. And as a bonus, that was Haskell's actual wife. They, I believe, he's still married to, or he was married to her for a long time. Either way, a knock at the door, and Tom comes in, and he wants to talk to him about Stephanie. Mitch tells him that you shouldn't treat someone you are quote emotionally invested in as a doctor.
0: I, I do have to say, I, again, you, so you said this is literally the Tom character's first appearance.
1: Yeah, this episode. Yeah.
0: yeah, it it doesn't actually feel like it. They've they've done a pretty decent job of making it feel like these characters have been around each other before.
1: Credit to the acting is a little... Yeah. yeah. You don't know if credit Baywatch for acting, but we... Yeah, you
0: know, there, there's some awkward lines in this scene, but, I mean, the chemistry between the actors, I think, works Yeah, with this group.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, for all the flack that Hasselhoff gets of being a bad actor, and I'm not saying that's, that's incorrect, he is, at this, you know, at this point, he's a pretty experienced actor. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was doing Knight Rider in the late 80s, and those stuff between then and now. He at least has experience to know how to treat certain scenes. There's also a weird exchange here where Mitch wants to get details about what's going on from Tom, who says that he can't share it because of doctor-patient confidentiality, which is a thing, mm-hmm. but then once Mitch tells him that he already knows about that he's having a biopsy, he just kind of let, lets it all slide. So Mitch is hard on you about being emotionally invested in somebody, but also completely ignores doctor-patient confidentiality. the weird rule he has there.
0: It's interesting, too, that he he presses for more information, and Tom just basically doesn't have more information to give at this point.
1: Yes. Tom tells him that the odds are good, as long as the cancer didn't spread. Mitch asks him for his honest opinion, and he doesn't say anything at all. Just like the date, I guess he just kind of left?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Because it's, it's the middle of the night, it seems to be, or at least in the evening, at Mitch's house.
0: Yeah, there, there's scenes in shows that you can like you can kind of picture in your head how the rest of that scene went. Rationally, and then there's scenes and shows like this one and the and the date one earlier, where you get what you need out of it for the show, but then it feels like okay, but how how did this resolve? Yeah, <laughs> you're like you actually need them to film the resolution to it because nothing in your head makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. We cut to what seems to be the next day, although they don't really give us a good progression of time to show this, where Stephanie's talking to her sister Caroline. Of note, the two of them share an apartment with CJ, so that's why they're together there. So tells the to Caroline about how she's not wearing enough sunscreen. At this point, she starts to break down a little bit, and Caroline figures something must must be wrong here. She, of course, does the dramatic thing of saying the line, turning it back to someone, and walking a few feet away, which is a perfect setup for Caroline to spot the bandage in the back of her leg, and she gets the news. They share a nice tender moment between sisters, and hug.
0: I... I- Again, have to praise Alexandra Paul's performance as uh, Stephanie. She does a really great job with the scene, even though a lot of the dialogue feels like it's taken from a educational short film about the dangers of not wearing proper sunblock. Yes, but she still captures this like tremendous fear and uncertainty that you would have in that situation. Yeah, I particularly found the uh, you know, I think Caroline says you're you're strong, you'll get through this, and her uh, her I don't want to be strong right now mm-hmm. responses. She really, really delivers very yeah. well.
1: Yeah, and it's not naka and Yasmin belief. She does fine here as well, no, but yeah. but uh, Alcindor Paul's part here is definitely, there's more nuance to it. She has to do more, mm-hmm. because she has to be, be overt, and then she has to break down a little bit, and she's got to react to the sister.
0: She She has a complex role in this episode, and she does it very well. Absolutely. It is, of course, tremendously awkward that we're cutting back and forth between, <laughs> you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, Vader crushing basketballs and Hogan and Flair deciding to hold a team match over property rights to a, a gym somewhere yeah. and all these bright colors and everything and then smash cut to very serious cancer plot. But <laughs> but the cancer plot side of the episode is actually done well by, yeah. by and large.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So after that nice tender moment of sister tugging and facing mortality and trying to be strong we cut to uh, Hogan just suddenly walk up to CJ. Apparently, he loves to bother her in her lunch break. Cause like the second time he's done that, just walked up to her. He confirms to her that the wrestling show was on. She was there for the conversation. I think she knew about that. I guess, but I guess he had signed the papers. I don't know. The legality of this whole situation is very, very vague and nebulous. Hogan is confident that he can beat Vader, which he hasn't done yet, as noted. Elsewhere, we see two kids playing on the rocks. One balancing on an obviously fake rock. HD strikes again.
0: I think you would have seen this even in. Oh, I know,
1: I know. Like,
0: the thing flexes while he's standing on it, yeah. and it's obviously a different color, yeah?
1: Yeah, the coloration really stands out in HD, but yeah. Once he puts his foot down on the rock and it wobbles a bit under his feet, has give, yeah, you know. Yeah. The kid slips off, and God himself seems to want this kid dead as the rock slides off for no good reason and lands on his leg, thus holding him underwater. Now, if you want to add a fan theory, maybe. The rock fell because his friend pushed it. Okay. You can't disprove it, and again, the internet works that way. If you can't disprove something, it's true. (laughs) So the kid, of course, screams for help, but fortunately he's about 20 feet away from the edge of the beach where Hogan and CJ are. As Hogan and CJ run to the rescue, we get a random aside where a kid says that he saw Hulk Hogan, and Mom thinks that he's, quote, telling stories.
0: Why is it so unbelievable that... A child in California might have seen Hulk Hogan build from California yeah. and known to like beaches.
1: Also, he was just here yesterday.
0: This is also true, yes.
1: It, just, uh... Hogan delivers the real Oscar-caliber acting in this episode as he struggles and strains to lift the rubber rock off the kid's leg.
0: He actually does a pretty good job of making yeah. that look like it was actually heavy. If If I had not seen the thing... <laughs> bend under a child's weight a moment ago, I like, I might have bought that that was actually a really heavy lift. It is kind of funny, like, I get that you don't want an actual rock to land on the kid, but it is kind of funny that you don't give Hogan an actual rock to lift, because I'm sure he could have done it. Yeah. No problem.
1: Yeah, agreed, yeah. Back to the B-plot, as seemingly nearby, but also not in relation to anything going on just now, Stephanie's on duty in her full gear, covering up. I guess Mish didn't give her opportunity like she asked for,
0: huh? Yeah, that, I, <laughs> <Dick>. <laughs> that's a good point.
1: Yeah, she's like, can I have opportunity because I have a biopsy? Uh, yeah, sure, here, whatever, work at the beach. She looks down and sees some clearly burned girls and tells them to put on sunscreen.
3: Uh, excuse me. Uh, you girls are getting sunburned, so you should either cover up or put on a stronger sunscreen. Because it's the burns you get today... They'll increase your risk of skin cancer when you get older. So. Is this what you're using? Baby oil offers absolutely no protection against the sun. Do you have any sunblock? Put it on. Uh, excuse me. Can I see that? Sure. This is just a sun magnifier, you know. You should be using sunblock if you don't want to get burned. Be sure to put on enough sunblock on your baby, okay? And on yourself, also. Are you using sunblock? You should be putting some on. Oh, high SPF. Excuse me, do you have sunscreen on?
0: Uh-huh. Oh, I do. You right. do? Good,
3: good. Sunblock? Okay, and keep reapplying frequently, okay? Especially as you sweat it when you go in the water.
0: Okay. Yeah, thanks.
3: Do you have sunblock on? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Don't forget to use sunblock, okay? Right. I'm obsessed. I mean, I was like a crazy person at the beach today, lecturing people. why? Why me?
0: Uh, That scene is so odd. Like, the music and the enhanced sound of her breathing, like, like bring that up a little bit. So it makes it sound like she's having a nervous breakdown or a complete freakout.
1: It's right out of a Bernard Ehrman score for Hitchcock or Brian De Palma.
0: Yes. But she's actually giving genuinely good advice to a bunch of people who are genuinely making bad decisions about skin protection at the beach. It's, yes, a little weird that she goes through so many of them in so quick a time, but that just appears to be that there's a ton of people that made terrible decisions about skincare within like a 10-foot radius. As you pointed out, the first girls are even visibly sunburned.
1: Oh, yeah. They're like, they're Michigan girls in in California from the first trip. Yeah, (laughs) they are burned. Yeah. It turns out they were literally using baby oil. Ladies, save that for Hogan. He uses that. That's his. She apparently heard this music, cause she told Caroline she's acting crazy. Yeah. Were you? I mean, not really. No. The way they play it out, where it's six, seven people over a course of like a minute, makes it look a little worse than it really is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like if you'd done it in like a soft montage way, that show her like throughout the day or throughout her like eight-hour shift, she has talking to people. I think that that makes it look less crazy in their mind, but they chose to do it that way.
0: I think if they wanted her to sound more obsessed, what they could have done is have all or most of the people that she talked to say that they were using it and her repeatedly go to the same person. Yes, sure. You know, something that makes it clearer that she's not thinking rationally or is, um, like she said, obsessed with this concept. Yeah. But But the fact that she's so clearly right in, you know... Almost every person that she approaches. Yeah. They had two different ideas for the scene and they did both of them.
1: <laughs> yeah. This is all with actors. So mm-hmm. you, you decided how all well that played out. Like they asked random people at the beach. Right. And it's happened, to a bunch of them have actually wearing Sunblock. Yeah, it's, it's very odd. That cuts to the, I guess, later the same day, a somber Tom shows up. It was clearly night, despite him telling that he could test results that morning. And he confirms her fears. They speculate about the worst. Says, Tom does Tom not exactly help things with his bedside manner? He doesn't like console her or anything. It's just like, yep, you have it.
0: He does talk about like, uh, it's easier to treat if it hasn't spread. We don't right. know that it's spread yet. And she says, but what if it has? So
1: The fact that he brings that up is, is, like a, is part of the issue. Okay. Well, for me, because he, I get that's something you want to tell people. You want to say, oh, it's better, it's better if it didn't spread, but. By doing that, you're really interested in the idea that it could spread. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, she might know that. And if she asks you if it spread, then that's one thing. But going, well, you know, if it spreads to your lungs, you might die. You're like, what? Now I'm worried about that.
0: Yeah. I I do have to, again, praise uh, Alexander Paul here. Yeah. Especially when Caroline is getting up to open the door. Mm-hmm. You know, Stephanie just does some amazing facial expression work, where she's she's facing the camera, Caroline's going to open the door, which is behind her. And you can see her work herself up towards facing the news. Yeah, that she she starts out just like visibly not wanting to address it, and then kind of like taking a few breaths and getting herself ready, and then can finally turn around when he comes in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I can't praise her enough for like the the nuances to her acting and what she does here. It's such like, a good acting, and it's just weird that it's happening on this show in general and on this episode particularly. Mm-hmm. Well, enough of that drama crap. <laughs> we suddenly cut back to Hogan and Macho at the beach saying that, quote, it is time to get strong.
0: Oh my gosh. This still gives
1: you whiplash in the best and worst ways. Yes.
0: Oh, gal.
1: <laughs> so, after saying it's time to get strong, they put down their weights and start running. <laughs> Wait, what? On the plus side, we finally get a proper Baywatch montage
0: of oh, like yeah. 20
1: plus minutes Not kind of commercials in this episode. It's super cheesy, and I'm all in. <laughs> a
3: born leader, he's number one. Made a steal, he's a champion. Because he's tougher than tough. You know he's got the right stuff. And when the going gets rough, he's more strong.
0: Based off of IMDb's credits, I think this montage originally used American Made, Hogan's WCW theme.
1: Ah, okay.
0: But the song here is actually quite fitting. They've done a decent job of uh, doing a replacement, if this is one. Right. It's very silly, but it's fitting.
1: Yeah. And the credit, which they might have amended for this airing, they do credit the song.
0: Yes. I did get the lyrics. Oh, great. Would you like to hear them?
1: I do, yes.
0: All right, here we go. All right. The world shakes with the clench of his fist. He's a force to be reckoned with. Tough as nails, he's the son of a gun. He means business, he'll get the job done. A born leader, he's number one. Made of steel, he's the champion, because he's tougher than tough. You know, he's got the right stuff. And when the going gets rough, he's more than strong enough, because he's tougher than tough. And there's a second verse. Oh, good. Made to last, yeah, he's built like a tank. A warrior with iron strength. Pure power like you've never seen. Satisfaction guaranteed.
1: <laughs>
0: uh. A born leader, he's number one, yada yada. <laughs> That's a wonderfully like over the top eighties training montage type of song. It's oh,
1: great. it's so great, yeah. There's yeah, there's real similarities to this and the Rocky Three. Yes. Training montage mm-hmm. with Rocky and Apollo, especially with beach running involved. It is worth noting that there's a random cutters or two in the montage where they show them back at the gym. Yes. Bench pressing. So at least they they, got, they finally realize. oh, right, the weights are back here. We ran half across the beach. Let's go back.
0: The idea of this clearly is that it's like several days of working out compressed into one montage. Oh, yeah, of course. But a couple weird things, or actually one weird thing and one very cool thing. So the weird thing first is, Hogan starts off and the Baywatch lifeguards are running with him. Yeah. We then get the entire montage of which I don't believe any of the shots of them running feature the lifeguards anymore. It's just Hogan and a, a flock of children. Correct. And then we cut back at the end and the Baywatch lifeguards are once again running with him. Yeah. So apparently they just laid, they started out on the first day and sloughed off for the rest of the week and then decided to join him for the finish. Maybe they refused to be seen running because the sequence used inadequate slow motion.
1: Oh, you know, that's true.
0: It does frame skipping instead of slow motion. It's interesting.
1: Yeah. At least it not do that thing where it cuts out a frame and then, like, two or three frames and someone somewhere else. Like, yes. Possibly. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, I know you do.
0: <laughs> the other thing. Did you catch the one shot of the one kid doing some amazing cartwheel into an acrobatic backflip in one oh, shot?
1: I did notice that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Holy crap. That was cool.
1: Yeah, there's that famous uh, one with Hogan in the 80s where he's like walking down the middle of the street and the crowd of people is behind him. Uh huh. They're definitely homaging that. Yes. pretty nice. I generally get what the training montage in and I love that it's here. It's weird that the only montage the episode involves the guest stars.
0: Yeah. I guess the other plot doesn't really lend itself to montage, but yeah. that makes it doubly weird that the lifeguards really aren't involved in the montage at all.
1: You couldn't picture the same same song, but with Stephanie, like, driving to the dermatologist, you know, not. checking, signing in, like, waiting, and then getting, you know, getting not, back out? Not
0: not, not so much, probably, but, you know.
1: Okay, well, you know, she's got to be tougher than tough, though. She's dealing yeah. with the serious problem.
0: Just, it's endlessly fascinating to me that we don't get the lifeguards in the rest of the running sequences with it. Again, they, they spend 90% of their time on this show running. You'd think they'd be good at it.
1: Yeah. It's true. Maybe they're too good. Maybe Hogan's like, oh, no, no, no you can't remember what
0: <laughs> You'll show me up.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's jarring transition time again! Yes. Mitch is walking on the beach with Stephanie, who is wearing a dress and not covering her legs up.
0: This is the second most jarring transition in the episode, I think. It is, yes. Smash cut from rock music, applause, Hogan and Savage posing triumphantly. Tougher
1: than tough.
0: To, boom, sad Stephanie and Mitch walking quietly on the beach.
1: Yes. A fun little fact I noticed re-watching the scene: there's two blonde twins that walk by in matching bikinis at the start of the scene. I f- feel like I've seen a glitch in the Matrix. <laughs> it, it, they really they are they wearing the exact same bikini. Their hair is slightly different, they're walking in line, like one is just a quarter inch ahead of the other one. And it's obviously not an accident that they're because it's Baywatch, but it's just—it's it's really distracted me. When I see twins walking by in that manner right before the serious scene. <laughs> Swartz is like, I know this scene's really good. You guys are great actors, but I gotta put the blondes in here somewhere. <laughs> Tim walk by. The pair have an odd bit where they reminisce about an early episode where they both nearly died <laughs> and he promised to keep her safe.
0: This is, yeah, like including the actual Baywatch history for characters should help the scene and yeah. make the characters feel more real and everything, but in this case, it's just like, Remember that time we were on a cruise ship and drug dealers took over and shot me and we went overboard? Then we drifted for hours on the water and got attacked by a shark and you somehow fought it off? It's just like, our lives are ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, season three, episodes 15 and 16, by the way.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, again, there's some of that's nice. Like, again, There's a thing about how Stephanie and uh, Mitch did date briefly and I was not dating now. It's fine to bring that up, but yeah, it's Bruder to bring this very specific thing about a promise he made to keep her safe from apparently everything, as if he could have predicted all these things that happened. Yeah. Poor Mitch wishes he could keep that promise now, but, you know, he can't fight skin cancer.
0: I do like his response here overall. He doesn't try to pretend the problem's not there, or tell her that it's going to go away, but he does promise to be there for her. Yeah, exactly. That, I think, you know, when you have someone facing a a serious situation like that, that's a better response than, oh, it's going to be fine.
1: Right, because you don't, you, you don't know.
0: You don't know that, yeah. But you do know what you can do, and that's be there for them.
1: Yeah, this, this again it kind of speaks to people having maybe gone through this, that right mm-hmm. write this episode, or at least I've seen enough movies and shows where they sort of do that. Because, yeah, there's nice little touches, like you said, to that. And again, it makes these well-acted emotional moments just bizarre when we're cross-cutting so much. Yes. Speaking of which, it's time for the show! They reshoot all of the promo segments, specifically for this episode, without meeting Oakland in him. Because obviously those ones, they talk about storylines, and Savage talk about his father being beaten up by Flair and all these things.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it is weird to me still, despite that, that they reshoot their own interviews rather than doing the ones from actual Bash of the Beach 95, because they're cutting between them anyway for this segment, like uh-huh. rapid fire cutting between them. You could have found clips from those that were sufficiently, you know, not tied to the exact WCW stories of the time and been fine. I think they could have just used clips from the actual interviews.
1: Mm -hmm. No, agreed. Again, or I don't know the timeline of this, but they could have easily on the day of, or even like the next day while they're still there, because they're in a tent, and you could add in crowd noise all you want. They could have just shot a new one with Gene Oakland there. Yeah. Or somehow is it too far to believe that Gene Oakland is here for this this wrestling match, which I guess a a two match show determines the ownership of a big plot of land in, in Venice. I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
0: it's like they, they alternate between characterizing this as a small charity event at the beach and yeah. an actual like full broadcast kind of situation. That's Yeah,
1: because there's a whole camera crew here and everything. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so we don't know Gene Auckland, sadly. And his place, we get CJ doing an intro for Hogan, uh, Sonny doing the direct interviews. I believe David Chogarty's character uh, as well does.
0: Yeah, uh, Hogan is interviewed by Sonny, Savage is interviewed by Cody, and Flair is interviewed by Kevin Sullivan. Yes. Because no one wants to do it.
1: Yeah it's, notable, yeah, it's notable that Kevin Sullivan is the promo guy here. <laughs> well, that's a bit I have to mention before we cover the actual promos themselves, which again... We're cut together in this weird, splicey manner. One big, uh, like, smoothie of a promo, I guess you want to say. <laughs> so CJ is given the job of introducing Hulk Hogan, and you can see from her body language that she does not want to do it. <laughs> CJ speed through her intro a la Sam Watterson trying to sell you robot insurance. <laughs> There's an old SNL sketch from actually around this time, a little, a little later.
0: I'm Sam Watterson of the popular TV series Law & Order. As a senior citizen, you're probably aware of the threat robots pose. Robots are everywhere, and they eat old people's medicine for fuel. Well, now there's a company that offers coverage against the unfortunate event of a robot attack, Old Glory Insurance. Old Glory will cover you with no health checkup or age consideration. You need to feel safe.
1: And they got Sam Morrison to actually be in the fake commercial. And I guess when they are shooting it, he was this sort of rapid-fire going through the lines they gave him. And they pulled aside, because it's, pre- it's a pre-tape. It's not done in front of the crowd. And they're like, hey, Sam, you know, you can slow down here. again details. Like, no, actually, you know, if it was me, and I'm, if I'm selling this thing, I don't believe it, and I think it's really stupid, I would just speed through and get as fast as possible done. <laughs> and that's what CJ does. He goes, like, no, Hogan, here, can he your away, Sonny.
0: Yeah. Also, the, their show is evidently called Bash at the Beach as well.
1: Yes. <laughs> You think they get sued by WSW over this?
0: <laughs> well, WSW doesn't sue people for breaking copyright. WSW gets sued for breaking copyright. Oh, that's true. That's <laughs> they do have a, a fairly nice uh, Bash of the Beach illustration. Oh, they do, a yeah. A good, good like drawing of Hogan and a decent drawing of one of the lifeguards. I don't know if that's actually supposed to be CJ or not, but...
1: Probably, yeah. She's the face of the show at this
0: point. Yeah, with the Bash of the Beach logo, or a Bash of the Beach logo, not the actual WSW one. I kind of wonder if they had used that for the actual uh, WCW show or if it's just for the Baywatch one. Yeah. Because it, it, cause it would work since they had the Baywatch lifeguards on Bash 95.
1: Well, what's funny is that this new branding doesn't include the Slim Jim stuff, but that's all over the stuff that happened, obviously, on the X pay per view.
0: And effectively, therefore, it does include the Slim Jim stuff in the movie.
1: Right. Just- what I mean is their backstage area. Isn't
0: it? Yes, true. Yeah.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to Bash at the Beach. We want all of you to come down because we want to help save the Venice Boys Athletic Center. And here to help us save it is Hulk Hogan, the WCW Heavyweight Champion
3: you're going up against one of the meanest bone crushers in town what's your strategy hulk well you know something brother what he doesn't understand is that hulkamania is going to be running wild dude and with the largest arms in the world saving the venice boys club the wcw heavyweight title on the line and a baywatch babes watching my back i'm gonna break him in half brother so how do you feel about your match today julie i'm glad you asked me that question I am the tower of power, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey, sky is the limit and space is the place, Ooh yeah! hulk hogan the macho man and all those little Baywatch lifeguards. the way i figure it's past we'll get rid of our red because yellow is more of their color Ooh. macho man yes what's your plan cody my plan is no plan yeah i live on the edge living on the edge ride the edge of a lightning bolt across the sky do you know why cody no i don't Because of the boys club, because of Sonny. You've gone hit to hit two to two in the past. Tell the whole world what you're going to do to your opponent. Macho Man Randy Sack. Oh, the Macho Man already knows. Today, he's got a deal Woo! with the Nature Boy and right here on this beach. And Nature Boy Ric Flair, you've got to understand that you're in a lot of trouble. Macho Man, I'm going to hit you like a human torpedo. Then I'm going to style and profile off into the sunset. Woo! So what you going to do, Vader and Flair, when Hulkamania runs wild on you?
0: Aside from the weirdness of Baywatch folks and the Taskmaster conducting the interviews, this was actually kind of great coverage of the basics of all these characters. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, it's utterly bizarre, but the guys hit all their usual notes, so if someone was coming over to watch WCW after this, they'd understand what they were getting into. Yeah,
1: it's definitely the clip Notes version of the characters.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Fleur only forgot to say space noun, I noticed.
0: Yes. <laughs> A few parts are very very funny or weird about this, though. Number one, uh, Flair says, we're going to get rid of the red because yellow is more their color, which works for Hogan's outfit because his outfit is red and yellow. However, the Baywatch lifeguards' outfits are entirely red. Yes. So they're all going to be naked?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, color is a spectrum, Bob.
0: Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other thing I absolutely love is how very earnestly cody answers when savage asks him if he knows why he rides the edge of a lightning bolt across the sky it's like no i don't know
1: <laughs> he's also like not prepared for that line yeah that line.
0: i genuinely wonder how many takes it took before he could stop doubling over laughing when savage turned to him yeah if you watch his face during that you could see him really fighting the urge to giggle
1: <laughs> yeah it's definitely an enjoyable it's insane sort of hogan flair and savage promo sort of Again, some smoothie or trail mix, whatever you want to yeah. call it, this weird jumbled mix they made. I don't know why they couldn't do them all separately and just show them in order. It's it's weird, or like you know, do savages and flares before the match, which is the one coming up,
0: and then cut back to Hogan.
1: Yeah, it's weird. Also, Vader gets no promo time here. What's up? That's with
0: that? true. Yeah, I mean, well, he got to crush a basketball earlier, so he was like, yeah. "I've got what I need."
1: I guess that maybe that speaks to when they shot this, perhaps. Cause he's gone. What September ninety five, I believe.
0: It feels like they would have shot this before.
1: I would. I would hope so. But it's possible they went back and shot it. I don't know if
0: yeah. they were doing retakes or something like that. that yeah, we could see. Yeah, maybe.
1: I mean, the other option is that there is a Vader one, and they cut it because he left the company.
0: Mm, which is possible. Yeah. I,
1: yeah. I, I, it's wrestling is a very petty sport sometimes.
0: Yeah, I just don't know that you would have had him look awesome by breaking a basketball either. Then.
1: Right. Well. Yeah. You can't cut that scene the way this this plays out is funny because we know from watching bash to the beast ninety five that you know the crowd interaction have like you know with Sting, who's obviously not in this one, when he does his you know, his stinger call, you hear in the back or he's reacting to the right. bands and all these things happen where obviously they're in some sort of weird vacuum of space <laughs> where no one hears them around the area they're at <laughs> because it's all shot like the next day or some some vague time later. You have Julie doing Savage's part first, but then, like, Cody just has a question you have to ask him. He then proceeds to slightly uh, reference lyrics from Aerosmith about living on the edge. He just doesn't know what it is at all, I guess, but yeah. Just a <laughs> Which, actually, that would make, that would be all right time. I think it's like 93, 94, so yeah, would topical, topical line reference. I really wish I could have gotten these separate so you could enjoy the, like, appreciate the little bits there. But together, it's a bizarre, still enjoyable mix of promos, going back and forth. Like, when they go from savages to flares, it's almost like it's a call-response promo. Yes, yeah. That's what makes Vader's absence of promo so odd. Because he, n- he had nothing to say, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. I would wager it's more that uh, whoever was writing this episode looked at him and thought he's the big, tough, dumb guy. Yeah. in their are uh, 80s action movie villains. Uh, you know, entourage that they've got.
1: He's the he's the ogre character.
0: Yeah, basically.
1: Oh. Render the Nerds, yeah. It's very possible. I could see that. I think, the, again, the issue is just that he's not represented at all. Even, like, he, he's not there when Flair's cutting this promo. Mm-hmm. Nor do they talk about it, what Flair's going to do. Or they just go, yeah, I'm going to beat Savage. Oh, and I guess whatever match with Vader's going to happen too for the world title. Whatever. Yeah. Which makes me feel a little less important. So, after all of that promo business, we cut to Savage coming out to the ring for his match. Which is shot from different angles, shot by the Baywatch crew from Bash of the Beat 1995 with brand new voiceover, because they are not going to pay the ring announcer for any of this.
0: It's very strange, because you can actually see Michael Buffer in the ring clearly doing the ring introductions in several shots in both this and the Hogan match that's to come. But both are announced by, you know, somebody else doing overdubbing. Yes, correct. So, our third match is The Macho Man, Randy Savage, versus The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, in a match with a bunch of guys around the ring for some unspecified reason, for I guess one half of the world title or one half of the deed to Sonny's Gym. I still don't get the bet. Referee for this match is Randy Anderson. I wonder if Slim Jims had to pay sponsorship fees again for the use of the footage. If not, dang, they got a good deal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
0: Get on one of the most popular shows on TV during the 90s for free.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
0: They exchange blows. There is some absolutely terrible ADR for Flair's noises of pain and for the punches that they're landing on each other, especially in the first moments of the match. Here, I got a clip.
1: It's right out of, like, an American Ninja movie.
0: It's amazing. Like, if you've watched wrestling, you know what a wrestling match sounds like, and that is not it. No. <laughs> like, wrestling punches, you know the wrestling punch sound effect because it's them stomping the mat half the time. It doesn't sound like traditional movie punches, or especially traditional, like, 80s action show punches, but that's what they've used here. Yes. And Flair's flares, uh, noises of pain are disinterested, I would say. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess Flair couldn't do ADR like Hogan and Savage did.
0: Yeah. Savage whips Flair corner to corner and charges, and Flair's clearly going to get a boot up, but we cut, and Macho lands punches. Cut, and Savage is falling for unclear reasons. Flair clearly sets for the figure four, but we cut, and now Flair's landing strikes in the corner and a clothesline. They trade more blows. Did whoever cut this together confuse wrestling with boxing? yeah. We at least get Flair flipping over the turnbuckle to the outside, and Flair dumps Savage through the ropes, which displeases Cody and CJ, who are somehow watching the match all the way from the interview set, which is presumably way up the entrance ramp. Yeah. In a section of the crowd that somehow did not appear on the actual bash of the beach, Sonny and some kids cheer for Savage. Back in, Savage back body drops Flair, lands punches, runs him to the corner, and back body drops him again. Even in this cut down version, you include that spot twice? Goodness. Savage goes up top and clearly sets for the big elbow. Cut. Flair starts to stand. Cut. Flair is down on the mat again, and Savage starts jumping for the big elbow. Cut. Savage starts his jump again, but lands the flying double axe handle instead, and apparently that's his finisher now, as it gets him the three count and the win. (laughs) Thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, the, the real challenger here is the editor. Yes. He made a whole mess of this thing. Go back to the last episode where I talked about how my theory is that they wrestled a more, for lack of a better word, cinematic style match, more of like a fight, which also works with the storyline, to be fair. They're not friends fighting for a title. They're two guys who are fighting because, you know, Flair beat up his dad and all these things happened. But uh, yeah, yeah, the editing is so bad here. Savage suddenly goes down from an atomic drop, which they showed the end of, but not the beginning of. You can see Flair's knee there like when he's falling off of it, but yeah, without watching him wrestling, you, you would be very confused as to what happened there. Likewise, yeah, and Flair sent them for the figure four, which in the context of this match is having like 30 seconds into it. Yes. Says, you know, it's time to go to school, which I think might be from the actual show. Yes. And then doesn't, I guess? I guess schools count? School's out for summer? <laughs> school's out forever?
0: That's, uh. yeah, I mean, well, DDP is standing at ringside, and that was his music at the time, so... Well, the rip-off of it, anyway.
1: That is very true, yes. Uh, My favorite part of the whole match is the way they use the back body drop parts. The first one involves Savage being on the outside and sort of being rolled back in. Never clear who these guys outside the ring are, wearing the matching Bash of the Beach shirts. And also, quick shout out to Chris Candy, who makes his face on camera. Hopefully (laughs) he got paid for this one, too. Savage is rolled back into the ring, starts to get up, Flair's, like, picking him up like they had the head, like, to do a suplex or something. Suddenly, Savage is switched position with Flair and is back-by dropping him.
0: There's so many nonsensical cuts in this. It's amazing.
1: Yes. The next time you see it, he whips Flair out of the corner, and they start to show him doing an actual back-by drop, which he does. He did this <laughs> twice in the match. But then suddenly, he's doing the Flair karma spot, where he's pressing Flair out of the corner. Mm-hmm. So he does He well, does it with zero buildup. It's impressive string. to stand to his feet and merely just throws the one over your head like that, like a sack of potatoes. And then do a different move afterwards? It's yeah. Bizarre. Yeah, and the way they cut the finish is ludicrous. Like you said, <laughs> he's getting ready to do the, do the elbow drop, but then they cut different shots of Lear getting up. And then back, he's back down again, and then he's clearly going to the elbow, which he does in the actual match. Right. Also, we cut out all of Arn's thing and ex- any explanation for why there are lifeguards. Yeah, it's weird because, like, again, they, they show him going with the elbow, but then he hits the axe handle. Then they cut to him getting the paint off of the elbow. And then the announcer just says that he won the match in a, in a wide shot. Yes. I don't know why you can't just show a condensed version of a match
0: mm-hmm. on here. Yeah. We do get some back and forth here that makes it at least feel like a fight, but it's so nonsensically chopped together that the match makes zero sense, and you don't get any feel for what the actual match might have been like. Yeah. They cut out almost every big spot the two did, including both men's finishers. Yeah. Neither the big elbow nor the figure four makes an appearance. I do get that time is short, but dude, trim down that one training montage earlier or something, you'd have enough time to show enough of the match that folks could follow it and actually get to see what the competitors could do. That is, presumably, from WSW, the point of this and whole endeavor. Yeah. By the way, as as you noted, no explanation whatsoever by Baywatch of what the heck all these other wrestlers are doing around the ring.
1: Yeah, yeah so this is a charity show yeah. to raise money for this youth center that, if they lose, is going to be parking lots and condos anyways. In the darkest timeline, where Flair and Vader both win, and to believe Vader becomes world champion— what happens to the money they raise on this show?
0: I, I guess um, they pay it to Sonny for his retirement. I, I guess. I guess. Okay.
1: <laughs> I just I didn't think of that before, but yeah, they're raising the money. But what if they lose?
0: Yeah, it's it's weird as well that they sell the cage in Hogan's match as some big trick on Flair's part, mm-hmm. but they don't mention or include, as you noted, the bit from Bash at the Beach '95 where lifeguard Arn Anderson literally cheats for Ric Flair. Yeah. Like, that would have been a great opportunity to be like, aha, I'll bring in my henchmen to do something in my match. Yeah. But they don't, which is strange.
1: Right. Likewise, they could have put in a line since they reshot these brand new promos anyhow. Two options. Either Savage goes, I called a bunch of friends to help out for this this event to, you know, keep an eye on yeah. Flair, make sure they yeah. cheat. Or you do the bad guy version where Flair's like, called the worst guys I knew, and they're going to surround the ring, make sure Savage can't run away from this fight, you know.
0: Yeah, they had plenty of opportunity to tell you why the heck there's a whole bunch of other people there and just didn't.
1: I wonder if they're, in this storyline, if they're getting paid. Because that really eats into the profit they're raising for the youth center, doesn't it? <laughs> we paid like 30 guys to start on the ring.
0: Maybe they're all such good-hearted people that they came out and did the charity work as well.
1: I mean, one of them is healed DDP, so I don't think so.
0: I, but he's just having a tremendous time with his buddy Canyon so oh okay you know he he just he just wandered up he wasn't even there for the event he just was like oh hey canyon come over here let's check this out looks cool
1: i mean ddp is known for being spur of the moment and not playing things out exactly. so yeah that makes yeah. perfect sense <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe he just uh he had to get with uh savage after the match to work out their future feud because they both clearly already would have been planning that out
1: that's true yeah <laughs> Got to plant the seeds there. But yeah, so it's it's a shame. I know, going back to the original show, I liked this Fleur Savage match more than you did. But regardless of how we felt about it, we both agree that they they ruined this thing with terrible editing.
0: They have utterly butchered this.
1: Yes. It's a real shame. As Macho is seen celebrating around the ring, we got to the back area where Hogan is stretching preparing for his match. Flair and company begin setting up the cage, complete with Slim Jim's logos, of course, on it. <laughs> yes. Which CJ spots.
0: Flair's Pla- secret plan, the cage, bears Macho Man's favorite company's logos. Yeah. Oh no, Hogan, Macho's in on it.
1: <laughs> eh, it's a double cross, brother. So yeah, the premise of this is that nobody noticed them with all this cage stuff around the ringside area or in the back. Like, like they just a, drove a truck up during, like, the Flair-Savage match, unloaded it and then walked out to ringside, I guess. <laughs> Hogan protests, of course, but Flair says his chances are slim now that Vader's got him in a cage.
0: Maybe they would floated a barge up since they were on beachside.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> Actually, it's WCW. You know they probably drove up? White Hummer.
0: That's possible. Or flew a bunch of helicopters, because, you know, they love those. Yeah. Flair, by the way, here says that... Uh, Vader is going to tear Hogan apart and take the title. According to Flair's own rules for this competition, that should no longer be possible, correct?
1: It's a little unclear, yeah.
0: He specifically says a team wins both matches or all bets are off, and the title was part of the bet. So there is no possibility that Vader can win the title off of Hogan at this point, according to the rules of their bet. There's still the possibility that Hogan can win the Youth Center property deed. But according to Flair's rules for the bet, there is no longer a possibility that Vader can win the title. So Vader is fighting for nothing.
1: Well, actually there is a hidden clause here. So if Vader wins, then it goes to elimination round. <laughs> Obviously, the only people left to fight would be Taskmaster is gonna fight, and Sonny's gotta fight him. Oh, okay. Watch Sonny get beaten up the way that Mr. T got beaten up by the like Kevin Sullivan. <laughs>
0: Meaning that uh, he's going to pull his shirt over his head and it's going to get stuck there for the rest of the match?
1: Correct. (laughs) I kind of want to see that match now.
0: Our fourth match is Big Van Vader versus Hulk Hogan with Jimmy Hart, Dennis Rodman, and a ton of Baywatch lifeguards. In a cage match for the other half of the deed or, well, nothing. As Flair said, if one team doesn't win both matches, our bets are off. So why is Vader even fighting? He has nothing to win. Referee for this one is Randy Anderson. Vader comes out in his massive helmet. I love that this is happening with absolutely no explanation on Baywatch. Yeah. How confused must Baywatch viewers be at this moment?
1: What is going on with man? Yeah.
0: (laughs) What is this thing? During his entrance, Fake Buffer calls Hogan the Total Package. Yes. Notably, by this point, Luger was in WCW, so folks might have been a tad confused if they decided to watch some WCW after seeing this.
1: Yes, a little bit.
0: Also, Dennis Rodman is here. Not a single bit of dialogue to explain that, but Dennis Rodman is here. Yeah. I love all throughout this match, Hogan's muttering ADR.
1: Yes, you got that too, yes.
0: Yeah, during his entrance and all throughout the match. This feels very legit. It feels like Hogan literally remembers everything he actually said during the match and just repeated it into the microphone. Yeah. (laughs) Because if you watch Hogan during a match, he is talking all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, you were saying before about what you thought your favorite DR. My favorite ADR is Hogan muttering like Popeye about this smack talk to, I'm coming for you, Vader. I'm going to get you.
0: (laughs) Now, Cody and CJ are in the crowd. Hogan chokes Vader with his shirt, throws him into the cage a few times, and unexplained Jimmy Hart appears to cheer for Hulk. Hogan lands punches, climbs up the ropes, and stomps on Vader, then hits a jumping double axe handle. Sullivan is angry at Flair because the cage isn't helping. Hogan takes off Vader's mask, in the actual match, Vader removed it, and slams him the first try, but sells his back. Vader goes up top and lands a splash, then chokes Hogan for two. Hogan hulks up. Vader is down for some reason before Hogan's done anything. Yes. We get weird white flashes between Hogan's strikes as they guess they couldn't figure out how to cut things together, so they decided to admit that there were cuts. Mm-hmm. Vader clubs and knees Hogan, landing big strikes, and Hogan begs for Jimmy, which probably confused Baywatch viewers since they have no idea who the hell Jimmy Hart is.
1: Yeah, like, why isn't he backstage in the promo part?
0: Yeah. Vader clotheslines Hogan, smash cut to him ramming Hogan into the cage, then release suplexing him, but Hogan now sells the clothesline as we've cut back to the Hulk up. Hogan lands punches, leg drops Vader, then runs him into the cage again, as no one editing this has ever seen a Hulk Hogan match ever. Clearly. Hogan breaks Vader's face with his boot, bounces off the rope like he's going for the leg drop again, but we cut to Dennis Rodman yelling at Unexplained Zodiac. (laughs) Cut again, and Hogan slamming Vader. It looks like the exact same slam footage as before, just cut before he sells his back this time. Yeah. I only recall him managing it once in the match, so that would make sense.
1: I believe so, yeah.
0: Hogan whips Vader to the ropes, hits a big boot, and wins off-camera by unclear means. Yep. Hogan celebrates in the ring with the big gold belt, which is obviously new footage since the actual match was won by Hogan escaping the cage. They do a fair job of splicing in this and other new footage and matching the lighting pretty well, but you can easily spot shots they've added because they're all at this high angle where you don't see the crowd.
1: Yeah, that's my. I call it the, this is a reshoot angle.
0: Yes. Thoughts on this?
1: I think this as a whole is less butchered to me than the Savage Flare one, although obviously there's still a lot of butchering here. And not even counting, you know, the actual butcher that runs in the match <laughs> yes. later. In the actual match, they build up the idea that Hogan can't slam Vader, and then he finally does, and it, you know, it, it weakens him. All that buildup is gone, and it's just, here's a body slam. Oh, my back hurts! Yes. And then and then he's getting beaten up. I don't even think the follow-up part's from the same part. I thought he just did a different splash after he goes down the first time with his back sore.
0: Yeah, they have definitely cut back and forth a lot in this match. They cut from the Hulk up to Vader getting offense again back into the Hulk up. Yes. Most notably.
1: I also like that how even though it's a new footage and shot by them, it could be cut by them. Hogan has a hard time getting the mask off of Vader. Yes. He really struggles with that. Like it's like the fifteenth take and like, you oh, know, fine, we'll get the best one. Don't worry, just keep go- keep going, guys. <laughs> Again, there's no context to why Jimmy Hart is there and why Yes Rodman's there and why, as I noted in the intro, Neely is not there even though she was there before. Mm-hmm. Why Kevin Sullivan just hanging out in the back when I was thinking, no, he, he runs out in his Flash tracksuit yes. on the actual show with Zodiac. I was expecting this when we watched it knowing the context of Vader famously being fired and slash leaving WCW before this aired thinking they would really bury him in this, because obviously they have full control of the edit, whoever did a terrible job with this. And they do a lot. Like, that first bit, where again, Hogan is being super heelish, like like he, we noted on the mm-hmm. other one. Yeah. Sneaking so up behind Vader and choking with his shirt and all this trash talk he's doing, stepping on his face. Yeah, it's that's bizarre. It's weird that they did get the leg drop in there, but then didn't make it a finish. Obviously, there's no pin, because he does escape the cage rules in the actual match. But they don't, like, just cut to the leg drop and then do, like, the wide shot like the last time and say, oh, Hogan won! Instead, we have the big boot, which is, you know, everyone, but apparently the editor, knows was the setup for the leg drop.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: And then just like, Hogan won, by the way! Hooray!
0: So awkward. Yeah. Yeah, this is still a horrific butcher job of a match edit, but it does do a slightly better job of telling the story of a match than the Flair Savage one. And did at least incorporate a few more spots you'd only see in wrestling rather than boxing. Mm -hmm. I do appreciate that they got some of the rhythm of a Hogan match. He starts off strong, gets hurt midway, gets beaten down, and then comes back. Yeah. It makes it easier for them to at least tell a story, if not a very coherent one. They also kept the turning point of the match, the slam where he hurts his back, too. Yeah. But yeah, seriously, had no one involved in editing this ever seen a Hulk Hogan match? How do you not know the leg drop is his finisher? Why end on the big boot, the setup for the leg drop? Why start the Hulk up, cut away, and cut back later? Also, why include the Rodman spot with no explanation of why Rodman is here and who the heck Zodiac is? Why focus on Jimmy Hart when you've not set him up at all? I get that these folks are unavoidably around the ring, but you could have avoided picking close-ups of them if you weren't going to put them in the rest of the episode. Agreed. And you cut the Vader helmet spots? Really? That's
1: true. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs)
0: I think they actually do give Vader more offense than I was actually expecting given again like you said he's gone from the company at this point. Yeah. It's not as much of a burial as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But but at the start of it they definitely do it, but I think yeah. that's in part because the match had that, you know, strong start going on so.
1: Yeah, I if this is if it was a case of WCW doing the edit, which if this is, I'd be really surprised. I'd be shocked if this was yeah. yeah. That would make sense that they would do that, but because this is fully done by whoever read it Baywatch. It explains a lot of how they got this all wrong, even though at this point, Hogan had been doing basically the same match, right? For 13 years at this point, for coming in 96. Yeah, there's
0: variances on the specific moves, but you know how a Hogan match is going to go unless you're in a very rare situation. Right. Give me the original match footage in a day, and I could definitely do a better edit of both of these matches.
1: No question, yeah. I've, I've seen your edits, I know, I know that's true, yeah.
0: I cannot imagine that Hogan, Savage, Flair, or Vader looked at these edits and thought, wow, they really captured the essence of our matches. I'm mm-hmm. glad I put in all the work to give them good shots to use. Yeah. I imagined instead it was more, geez, brother, I'm never giving you one of my matches to use again. And similar from Vader, but with more chairs being hurled around the room. Right, yeah. So yeah, maybe next time hire someone who knows who the characters are to edit the matches.
1: Yeah, like a good, good idea. So, after the celebration, we then see an awkward tip to the back where the bad guys are waiting. I guess they just sort of wandered back there. And by the way, no one acknowledges the presence of Dennis Rodman still at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Hogan boasts about, quote, slowing Wick Flair down with this win. I guess that's true, but that's a weird way to say it. He says they gotta take the deed and the savage youngster from his hand. <laughs> yes. By the way, he does it with his only one hand, because the other hand is full of Slim Jims. <laughs> If you wonder how he makes so much money, made so much money from Slim Jims, this is how. Yes. Savage hands it to Hogan, who, of course, hands it to Sonny, which I guess makes this legally binding question mark.
0: Weirdly, he hands it to Sonny and says something along the lines of, "Here you go, Sonny, your dream." Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, why are you telling me why my dr- what my dream is, Hogan? I mean. You're probably right in this case, but it's just uh, yeah. a weird statement. My
1: dream is to own the land I already did own until like a week ago. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's true. Vader suddenly appears as the crowd runs through the tent for some reason. And they all went to the beach, which is evidently, by the way, the wrong direction. <laughs> true. They leave the beat they leave the beach where they were to go into the tent towards the walk, the sidewalk area. And then
0: they're back on the beach Taking their lives in their hands. By the way, a bunch of bunch of kids and teenagers running past Vader, yeah. who is angry.
1: One kid like yells, "You suck!" And then suddenly he has a missing poster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the next day, Hogan's drinking milk from a car, and he goes, I recognize right, that kid from the show. <laughs> they run out to the beach, very similar to how they ran across the beach in their celebratory montage earlier, and everyone is happy. We cut to commercial. Oh no, we're not done yet. <laughs> we suddenly cut back to stephanie and mitch on the rocks both literally and metaphorically in this case my question was actually my question before is this a metaphor or just a good location <laughs> i don't want to give Douglas schwartz credit for that one
0: this is a beautiful shot though
1: oh it is yeah, yeah. like
0: actually they've, they're framed slightly from below shot upwards towards them sitting on some elevated rocks below the uh, lifeguard station mm-hmm. and it kind of does this nice slow pan across, and you know they get even some well-timed birds going by and everything, mm-hmm. which I think was just luck on that part. But okay. but it works really well. Some excellent camera work there, honestly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mitch tries to come for Stephanie as they wait for the result of the next tests. A somber-looking Tom approaches, so you know that this is not going to be good. So the pair get up, and Mitch takes off his sunglasses. Why? Drama. Oh, okay. Stephanie asks if it has spread and he says yes. Stephanie turned away from the duo for proper dramatic staging and begins to cry as the men comfort her.
0: And and seriously, Tom, yes is the only thing that you came prepared to say. Yeah. You're you're her doctor, right? At this point. Like presumably you should already have at least some idea in mind of like, okay, what the follow-up is gonna be, what treatment plan you're gonna As as a medical professional, you don't just come up to someone and say, You know, when they say, has it it spread? And you just say, yes, and then are silent.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I said, it's a well-shot scene. It's got good acting. It's got good drama, especially in Alexander Paul's part. Mm -hmm. To be credited, Vincent Van Patten, who plays Tom, does a good job. Yes. Even if he's not given a lot of dialogue, he should be saying.
0: The lines are bad. The acting is great. Yes.
1: Do try to ignore the obvious lifeguard in the background of the shot as, as they cut out wide. And more of those noisy seagulls. (laughs) <laughs> yes. So yeah, this is how this ends. No talk of hope, just bad news and crying.
0: More excellent work from Alexandra in this scene as well. Absolutely, yeah. The slow way that she shows the news sinking in, mm-hmm. not immediately reacting big, but silently letting it build up over several moments is excellent and feels real and raw.
1: Yeah. So I'll say it, it's a running joke, but now was covers Baywatching that famously Baywatch never won an Emmy its entire run. Mm-hmm. I will say it's a little disappointing to hear that, at least in context of this episode, because she is really good.
0: Yeah, she genuinely, genuinely gives it her best in this episode. The flaws with that part of this episode's plot are with the writing, not with the performances on any of their parts, honestly.
1: Yeah, It's, it's unfortunately probably a case of Baywatch just not getting a say, based on, to be fair, a lot of what Baywatch is like. Yes, yeah. I mean, again, as you mentioned at the beginning, the previous episode was a Charlie's Angels parody one. Yes. The show is famous for people running in slow motion, you know, kids being trapped under the death pier, random squids appearing, all sorts of nonsense. Ghosts and aliens show up at one point on the regular Baywatch, not even Baywatch Nights. Yeah. That did not happened yet. So I think it's a case of they just don't even get noticed.
0: So overall thoughts on Baywatch Bash at the Beach?
1: There are two good to decent stories here. The first one is a pretty cheesy, to be fair, and straight out of the 1980s, as mentioned. The other is a serious character drama about someone facing life-or-death news. Separately, they are very degrees of good. The cheesy 80s plot is fun, and enjoyable, and you can really appreciate the drama, as you noted, with Alexander Paul and the actors involved in the the uh, other one. Together, they're just plain bonkers. It's just <laughs> bizarre. It's so weird. It is! <laughs> The serious cancer plot makes the wrestling matches to save a gym plot seem extra silly. Hogan doesn't even need help being cheesy, but you gave it to him, him all the same. Mm-hmm. Likewise, cutting between the wrestling and cancer plot makes for just the worst tone of whiplash. Seriously, they go from, yeah, we see at the youth center, let's all celebrate and run on the beach happily, to a lady finds out her cancer has spread to her body and she's got serious treatment. She could die. The end result is that people can't really enjoy your cheesy wrestling plot, when they are constantly reminded of human mortality and a seemingly cruel hand of fate.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Likewise, your series plot just feels nasty out of place when you're getting in between training montage and land ownership being decided via steel cage matches. As far as the series plot goes, it's generally well acted, noted. It's a bit melodramatic by some, but that's kind of how that works. I mean, this is a, this is a TV drama that's just kind of how you, you play pretty broad. As we you know, there's still a lot of good subtle moments in there, and it feels very genuine. But you get, you know, you get big moments because you're playing. It's a TV show. Mm-hmm. It's like This Is Us if This Is Us had running in slow motion on a beach, basically. <laughs> i are like, looking at it. <laughs> As for the wrestling plot separately, the matches are, are a shadow of themselves. and The touches added in post are just silly. As we've mentioned many times, they cut the hell out of these matches. They make no sense if you watch the record match or watch any wrestling match in your life. You're representing this weird unreality of what wrestling matches look like as part of your angle to get people to watch wrestling. It's not a good way to do that. (laughs) So in summary, does the drama please anyone here? Yes. Does the wrestling plot belong here? Hell no.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I am so very glad that we did this. Mm Mm-hmm objectively this is not a great show no they brought cheesy 80s low-budget action show nonsense with holgan's plot complete with rick flair filling the stereotypical evil property developer role vader as the muscle and sullivan as some um, whatever sullivan is
1: it Was a cackling henchman character a lot yeah
0: i wish there'd been a dungeon of doom segment all this needed was master bellowing about the gym being on a sacred ritual site to uh, really really confuse the audience
1: yes more of that please
0: Instead, they mixed in about the most deadly serious plot they could possibly do with Stephanie's melanoma storyline. Yes. The tonal shift from segment to segment is incredible. I cannot for the life of me imagine why they decided to do things this way. It's like if Star Trek's The Trouble with Tribbles episode was paired with cautionary warnings about the dangers of drug abuse when Dr. McCoy was found to be using his medications to get high. (laughs) It badly damages both plots on this show, as you noted. Yes. Every time you're having a laugh watching the Hogan plot, the show smashes you hard in the face with bad news, non breakdowny nervous breakdowns, worse news, sadness, and even worse news. But every time you're getting genuinely invested in Stephanie's story and feeling for her pain and worry, here's a quick cut to the WSW folks having one of many over the top confrontations, cutting bonkers promos, doing 80s sports movie training montages, or having clip show wrestling matches. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's better or worse that the two plots literally never mention each other, not even once. There's not even a line like CJ saying, hey, after this, let's go check on Stephanie. Or Mitch saying, don't worry, CJ and Cody can handle that big charity thing. I'll stay with you, Steph. Sure. I definitely wouldn't want these heavily combined, but it feels odd that two very big things are happening, and no one involved with one even notes the other. Yeah. The two bits were clearly written and filmed entirely separately with no connections intended, which makes it even weirder that they were combined. Surely there must have been something else that could have been paired with one of these plots. Yeah. Or maybe just expand both of them to episode length individually. That would solve a lot of problems with with this episode. Yeah, for sure. The WCW guys were silly as all heck, but you kind of expect that when you're having them play their over-the-top wrestling characters in a non-wrestling show. On the other plot, everybody involved did fine, with Alexandra Paul being a massive standout. It's not a particularly polished episode, though. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the absolutely woeful editing of the matches, or the questionable physics of the jet ski crash, or the often weird dubbed dialogue, or the bits in the cancer plot where characters have to spout factoids so the audience can learn something, or the extremely obvious fake rock, or the sudden appearances of new people in the match segments... It just feels like this one needed some more time planning, writing, and editing. Still, it is ridiculously fun to watch. Agreed. And an easy recommendation for anyone who wants to see what happens when WCW and Baywatch collide. Yeah. After seeing this, I really wish they tried to get more involvement from the Baywatch cast back on Bash of the Beach 1995. Yeah. I can't imagine it would have gone well, but it would have been amazing all the same. Mm Mm-hmm. Match of the night and MVP, then. So, Al, your match of the night.
1: So, for me, this is a real Vader-centric choice. I decide Do I pick Vader destroying a basketball? Or Vader sometimes destroying Hogan, depending on where the editor feels like cutting? <laughs> I think I lean slightly more towards the latter part. As chopped down and weirdly done, is as the match they have in the cages... You still get a good feel for Vader. You get, you, know, you see his shouting and his slamming and his jumping. and All the stuff he does that makes Vader just so great. So even if it's not a great showcase for him, especially compared to the other match, it's still at least a showcase for him. Even if, like, even if you couldn't really follow the story they're trying to tell with this cut-down match, you still go, man, that Vader guy is really scary-looking. Yeah. Makes you want to see
0: him, regardless. You at least get something of a match story. It's just not the full match story. Exactly. All right, uh, for mine, can I say silliness versus melodrama? Sure. (laughs) Because that's clearly the biggest fight in the episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah, fair enough.
0: Failing that, if to choose an actual action scene, I'll say the opening race and Hogan getting hit by the jet ski. Okay. As physics-defying as that last part is, the race is the only action or competition scene on the show that you can actually follow because it has a real plot progression to it. That's fair, yeah. MVP?
1: So, I'll an official one an official one. Okay. For me, show MVP, wrestling-wise, like, the character he's playing, I gotta go to Flair, because he has the most work of the bad guys. He has the most promo time. He's got to set up the plot and everything. He's got to quickly change to Fighting Seven instead of Hogan. He's very enjoyable in his moments. Mm-hmm. It's a shame he didn't do ADR for himself, but otherwise, he's the best part of the show, for me, wrestling-wise, as much as I love Vader. Because he's just represented by yelling a bit and crushing a basketball. He's underrepresented here. That said, ultimately, the actual MVP of the episode is Alexandra Paul, Mm -hmm. because she is by far the best actor on this episode.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm in total agreement on that. My MVP for this is definitely Alexandra Paul. She got stuck with a really, really tough role, handling dialogue that was half emotional drama and half edutainment, to say nothing of doing all that well half the episode was silly Hogan antics. Mm -hmm. She took the plot seriously, and put some real work into the portrayal. She's able to wrestle, pun intended, the episode back from the goofiness and get a genuine emotional reaction. Excellent job. Agreed. And that wraps up our review of Baywatch Season 6, Episode 15, Bash at the Beach. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring. Links will be available in the episode description. Follow us for episode announcements and other show details, and share your own thoughts about each show as we go through. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, Verbal, or Audible. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a rating or review, and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us. Many thanks to Gina Trujillo for our logo. Next up, Bash at the Beach 1996. This is no day at the beach. Somehow, that is both accurate and inaccurate at once. That's true. The show is back in an arena rather than at a literal beach. But it is an arena in the city of Daytona Beach. (laughs) Touche. So it is both at and not at a beach. Schrodinger's tagline aside... (laughs) <laughs> this show may be the single most consequential WCW pay per view in the company's entire run. Yes. This is Bob Moore for Alec Pridgin, signing off. Good night, everybody. Happy Baywatching. <laughs> This episode's director is listed as Douglas Schwartz, and the episode writer is listed as Deborah Schwartz, with Michael Burke, Douglas Schwartz, and Gregory J. Bonin receiving creator credits. I, I say I can't say the name and that I have to say it three times in a sentence. Great. <laughs> <laughs>